in the trenches every day cause I stay on my grind If they hate they hell them make cause they won't stop my shine See me running to that money, I just want what's mine No, I don't waste no time, no, I don't waste no time Welcome back in the Feed Your Brain podcast. Um, I'm Max and uh, we have another guest on the show. Um, a very long name, but also a very interesting person. Um, Marcus John Henry Brown calls himself a performing artist and creative mentor with the idea to help and consult commercial clients create creative answers to difficult problems. This sounds super interesting, Marcus. Um, you have customers like uh, Microsoft. Uh, you you speak at Republica several times. Um, you you worked at or you had uh, you consulted ZDF, which a lot of Germans know, of course. Um, you work with uh, Saatchi and Saatchi, and um, you describe yourself, or more or less, you are a half Scottish Englishman with a German passport. So Marcus can also speak German, but we prefer to talk in English. So we have a bigger community, and we can share different different. Uh, we can share something in a language a lot of people speak. And to, to give a little insight here, the first time I saw a video of you, I was, it was mind blowing for me on the one hand. It was hilarious on the other side, but it was also different, um, because I, I thought there's something that I haven't seen before in your content. And that's what I like. And, uh, welcome back in the podcast. I'm very excited for, to this one. <laughs> well, thank you for having me, Max. I feel it's great. I feel honored and charmed. This is a, for listeners, this is the first thing I'm doing on a Monday morning. <laughs> what is a, that a good sign or what a, what a great way to start the week that's what i also thought actually um to have a podcast on monday morning must be, it should be like a ritual for for people right either to listen to one or in the best case to produce one yeah i really struggle with these monday with these um <laughs> hashtag motivational monday morning ritual <laughs> stuff i think that's I, I, it's i find that really difficult I kind of don't buy into all of that thing. And there are certain things that I do that would probably be considered as morning rituals, like getting up <laughs> <laughs> and drinking coffee or what's, what's tea? It? Tea. Okay. Tea. You're an Englishman. Of I'm course. I'm an Englishman. Yeah. I, I, I always start the day with a, with a cup of, uh, Earl Grey's tea. With the milk or without milk? Without milk. I haven't, I haven't drunk milk, uh, now for over a year oh wow is that uh does that have a special reason or um i got fat <laughs> <laughs> i don't believe you <laughs> i did i did i got fat i got really fat and i started a diet and uh i started the uh, i'm contradicting myself because i don't believe in all of that stuff but i'm doing the low carb diet from tim ferris so Oh wow! Okay, but it works. Isn't that... But it's worked. I mean, I lost twelve kilos. So, with Tim Ferriss' the tactics, or yeah. Oh wow! How does how does he handle it? Or how do you handle it? Um, discipline, which is uh, something which I've discovered over the last couple of years. Running your own business kind of forces you to be disciplined, and right. uh, and um, <laughs> a discipline is not necessarily something not necessarily something that you would relate to uh uh to a creative person somebody who studied art <laughs> it's not necessarily something maybe you know, i don't know an accountant seems to me to be somebody who might be disciplined right but van, uh, van gogh wasn't disciplined or maybe he was we'll never know we'll... anyway i have to correct you on a couple of things 
You started, you started off very well. You bigged me up, but uh, there are some things in there that I'm going to have to strip away. My, <laughs> Microsoft and Saatchi are not clients of mine. I'm not quite sure where you got that. I spoke at, um, I've spoken at a mm-hmm. thing. I've performed at Microsoft. Mm-hmm. They very kindly asked me to come and perform one of my things uh, for them. And I don't know. Which is also cool. Which is also very, very cool. Microsoft in, um, in Munich. Microsoft is a quite cool company. It's cool again. It was, well, was it ever cool? I don't know. Steve Ballmer jumping over the stage, sweating, (laughs) shouting. uh, I I, I saw, I saw that video again where, where he sang to, um, start me up, right? Yeah. He jumped around and yeah. Yeah. That kind of enthusiasm always feels slightly uncomfortable for an Englishman. (laughs) <laughs> aren't uh, you guys very enthusiastic <laughs> yes but you'd never notice <laughs> you would never ever notice so so no and the Saatchi and Saatchi thing I'm not quite sure where you got that from I think um, Richard Huntington once said something nice about me mm-hmm. and, um, which is very kind of him but I've never actually done any work for Saatchi and Saatchi but I do have clients and, that I help answer which are maybe you can maybe no, maybe I never, that's a, I never hmm. ever talk about my clients. This is one of the okay. one of the. It's incredibly important to me that mm-hmm. um, because of the things that I actually, I get asked to do for my clients and mm-hmm. some of the subjects that I I get asked to think about. Um, and the people within those organisations that I then end up working with, it's it uh, discretion is really really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it very, t- there is, <clears throat> there are, there, there's a kind of a lot of, that's really old school. Mm-hmm. I think something, uh, there was something happened around 2009 where it w- became en vogue to kind of like to talk about the clients that you're working with and put mm-hmm. the logos on their website and, right. Um, but I've never really bought into that. That was not the thing I, it's not how I learned how to do things. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate enough to, to work in a, my first job in, in advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm old enough and lucky enough to have had a mentor who uh, was considerably older and wiser and better than me, which, um, is something which feels that is missing at the moment. Okay, I, I, I t- can totally feel that. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that um, is relatable to to the stuff that I, I do. I think um, just dropping clients to to drop names and to make you maybe better in some some regard is something a lot of people do. But I think it's somehow against certain values that we may live for. Um, maybe that's a, that's a, that's a good uh, good touch point here because I think what comes out of here is that you're a very humble person, but you're also very very special in 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 the in the stuff you're working on and the craft you're working on and maybe if if somebody would ask you at a at a at a party in germany with a good good weizen from munich what would you how would you explain them what you do actually in terms of your your craft and your work especially Mm. if you can't drop clients what's what's the what's the stuff you you work on to to make people understand what you do yeah, it's it's um, life used to be much easier when I could say I was a creative director. Mm-hmm. That was really easy because that sounds impressive. <laughs> it's true. Um, I'll leave it 
for your listeners to decide whether being a, um, a creative director is actually impressive or not. I think most creative directors would end up kind of saying, hmm, there's nothing really impressive about working out holiday, the holiday calendar for their staff doing yearly or an, uh, annual um, performance reviews, <laughs> capacity, uh, capacity planning. <laughs> right. That doesn't sound that sexy. <laughs> <laughs> we had Steve Babcock on the show from VaynerMedia, who's also a creative director. He, he was quite aroused by his job and his job description. But um, I think there are different opinions, of course. Well, I think that uh, that has something to do with the company that, that he works for. They seem to be pretty aroused by themselves. Right, that's true. <laughs> and I think there's a word for that, but I can't remember it. Um, so I, I think it has a... I find it very, very diff. I found it very difficult to um, describe what it is I do. Um, it's a mix because most people don't really have an understanding of what a creative director's job should be. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought of the job of a creative director is just just to help um, their team become a creative weapon. And that each member of the team should just get better and help them find ways of, of, of finding ideas and understanding the, the entire creative process and help them grow and be better and, and then leave the agency and go somewhere else and then kind of like take it to the next step and then help younger members of staff and to become a, a more interesting person. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of what I do with my creative clients. It started mm -hmm. when I set up the business like there was a amazingly for me there was a plan um the plan was to kind of uh, just work on creative concepts and and make things for clients and enjoy doing that mm -hmm. <clears throat> sorry um it's turned into something else now because my own creative work has started to kick off after many 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 years of grinding at the face of dystopia i've um I've, I've i seem to have found something that that is interesting and 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 interests people um and that's slowly taking over more of the work i'm doing but interestingly enough the more of that kind of work that i do the more interested the commercial clients of uh, are about finding out the process of coming up with those kind of ideas mm-hmm And the work has become very much one-to-one um, -one focused, working directly with senior members of companies. Mm -hmm. um, so it's when it. So my job is actually really is two two jobs. So I am a. I still consider myself as um, an artist. It's taken me a while to. Um, regain the the confidence to say that mm -hmm. um the work i'm doing why is that there's a certain there's a certain discipline there's a certain emotional requirement i think that every artist has to create a body of work that they can stand in front of and say this is this is my body of work this oh is, got it. this is what i am as an artist and mm -hmm. the performances that i've been writing over the last since 2013 mm -hmm. 
and uh, some of the writing that I've been doing and some of the other talks that I've been doing can I think can stand up as their own on, on their mm-hmm. own as pieces Definitely. of work um, interestingly enough it puts me in a, in a space between the two these two worlds so you know on the, on, on, on the left you have the art world mm-hmm. m- machine which, mm-hmm. is, which has a very clear which has their set which has their own vocabulary and their own process of doing things and their own places where these things get done mm-hmm. so that would be galleries and museums and performance spaces and they have an incredibly complex vocabulary you know, they'll, they'll, they use a lot of words to describe an idea mm-hmm. <clears throat> and on the other side you've got the commercial kind of um, advertising digital creative industries mm-hmm. side of stuff which is where I've spent most of my adult working life now mm-hmm. um, which also has a very strange vocabulary <laughs> uh, which um, has a very strange mindset which you know has an awful lot to do it's very it's kind of like the difference between I don't know um, at, at Basel and LinkedIn mm-hmm. it's kind of like, and I seem to be slipping in the middle somewhere so <laughs> seems artists, to be completely impossible <laughs> well yeah so so uh, um, other artists people I studied with I studied at a place called Dartington College of Arts which was a very very small very well known um, art academy in the southwest of England I think mm-hmm. they look at the work I'm doing now and kind of don't know where to put it <laughs> in their heads because it's like, well, I kind of see that this is, it's a performance, but he's using power. So the whole framing is like really weird for them. And it's not, uh-huh. it's not in a gallery or a museum <laughs> or a theater or a right. cinema. It's in a podcast now, at least. Well, it's in a podcast now, yeah. And the, um, and the, I think most of the, most of the, the business conference audiences are looking at it and saying, well, that was weird and scary (laughs) and interesting and, and, um, and art, which is, uh, which is quite interesting. So it's taken me a really long time to get to the bit where I'm saying, okay, you know, I'm an, I'm an artist again, which is a really weird way of putting, to saying I'm an artist. So, the, so on the one side, I am the perform, performing artist and, and the commercial work I'm doing now with, you know, with commercial clients is very, very much creative mentor. So mm-hmm. the thing I mentioned before about I was fortunate enough to have a mentor. His name is, mm-hmm. uh, his name is Richard Lawrence. Um, a very dear man, very angry man. Um, who there's a lot of Richard Lawrence in me. His way okay. of his way of, of of seeing the world, his um, work ethic, his quality, his desire for quality, the craft of doing. It's interesting you say explain your craft. For me, mm-hmm. the craft, the craft of my craft is the craft. Mm-hmm. So I spend a lot of time on crafting the things I do. I get a very, 
very German about, <laughs> about the way I, I kind of approach getting stuff done. It's, it's really interesting. When, I, when I'm doing these performances outside of Germany, <clears throat> I experience kind of like different, you know, I did, I did something in, in Barcelona at the beginning of this year and it was a completely different way of like setting it up. <laughs> In Germany, you do a get-in on the night before, you do a sound check, you do a run-through, you do the performance. I take the entire tech crew through all of the things that happen in the show. I involve them in the process. And in Barcelona, the guy turned up half an hour before, <laughs> turned the lights on and said, let's go. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so that, that's kind of the, the, that's where I am. That's, the, that's my elevator pitch, which normally takes about half an hour. <laughs> which I, I i love it because it's so it's again it's a different way of describing what you do and what i, I really like is okay at first you said okay you just said at a moment that it's it's a craft so it's something that you have built over time and it's really a process of building it's not it's never done more or less i think that's mm. what what's also more or less described as a craft but um what i really found interesting because i have never discussed that in a way before in my podcast but also in personal life is how business and and the whole artistic way of thinking about stuff somehow comes together in your mind and in the profession that you do and i think that's very special to also the followers the listeners that we have and um well none, sorry to in interrupt you mm -hmm, Max, but none, sure, of these, sure. none, none of these things are you know these things aren't disconnected from each other i think that's one of i think we've got ourselves into the mess we're in at the moment because we you know the linkedin hustle gang Look, to, mm -hmm. look, look at, look at their thing as if it's completely disconnected from all of the other things. Mm -hmm. um, and the art gang. This was always kind of, I, 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 I've, I've always been on the more pop side of of the art world mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. the more kind of intellect. I'm not into. I'm not clever. Um, I, I see things and try to put them together and I try to put them in, together in a way that will make people scared, make them think, make them laugh. I've had people cry at my things. Um, mm -hmm. um, pack them in an emotional way. But there are large chunks of kind of the, the, the culture machine that look at their stuff completely disconnected to, mm -hmm. to the rest of the world. And, the, and you know, startups venture capital they look at their they're in and we all know what filter bubbles are um mm. i've been around long enough to, to confirm that they're there um it's what i try to do is i try to kind of put together little stories to show people that these things are connected to each other mm. and that's interesting and scary and um dark uh, the, a lot of my stuff is dark so it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of um but funny mm -hmm. i hope it's i mean funny. i hope it's funny i mean people seem to laugh in the right place yeah i mean if you uh, often i what i do especially if i if i look at interview guests is that i also look and observe how people talk about the content they create so if you if i take a look at your videos and how people interact and comment on your videos it's I would say 90% very positive because it gives them like a new direction and a new thinking. And the 10% that comment your, your videos, 
they're not negative, but they say it's scary and um, it it makes them feel uncomfortable mm. maybe in the situation they live in. And they that is also positive because that, that gives them a different thinking of how they live maybe and how, how, how they should live and how they should follow their vision. Maybe you can di deep dive here a little bit because I think you're very famous for, for the dark side of thinking about technology. Um, that's actually something that I wanted to talk a bit about later in the interview, but let's do that now because I think... Um, You just covered it and it's super interesting. Maybe you can give a little insight because the podcast is also a lot about the future of technology and a lot about the positivity of technology and how we as, as human beings, especially as young people, can use the chance to, to use technology in a good way. Why do you think it's dark? Why do you think there's something dark in the whole matter of technology? And what's, what's your opinion on, on, the, on the dystopia that you sometimes describe, I think? First of all, Max, I'm not famous, so <laughs> I might be a little, I might be known a little bit in certain niche circles for writing some dark things. Mm -hmm. I think if you kind of look at the, the, the first time I wrote about the, uh, or did a talk about this was at the, I think it was the 2013 Republica mm -hmm. in, a, in a talk called I i palindrome i and it's quite an interesting talk because i was so close to getting it right but so wildly wrong as well it's also the last talk i did which was kind of like a like a um a standard talk after that i never did them again after that i, I said there's got to be a better way of of telling this stuff Because afterwards, it's like I, I always, it's an interesting thing about a lot of people say this, who make stuff and put themselves out there, mm -hmm. that you never really concentrate on the, the 99 great comments. You always concentrate on the one nasty one. Mm -hmm. And after that talk, um, in the talk, I say, um, It was basically kind of like the foreboding for surveillance capitalism, which is something which consumes my thinking at mm -hmm. the moment. Um, and I was saying that we have to be really careful about the data that we, about what we're doing with our data and how we present ourselves to the world, because at some well, somebody somewhere is going to use this data against us. That's basically mm -hmm. the 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 gist of a, a 20-minute talk. And a guy came up to me afterwards and said, you know, that's absolute bullshit. Um, nobody's going to do that. Nobody cares about our stuff. Nobody's ever going to do that stuff. And I was really kind of like thought, well, maybe he's absolutely right. And I spent months kind of like, like worrying about the fact that I actually know Marcus has absolutely, maybe absolute nonsense. And then um, 2014, end of 2013, 2014, the um, NSA Edward Snowden thing broke. Mm -hmm. and that's why I said I, got, I was so close, but so wrong. Because in, <laughs> in, in, in that 2013 talk, I said it was probably going to be a media company that was mm -hmm. going to steal that data and use it against us. Mm -hmm. But it was the NSA allegedly um which doesn't necessarily make it better but yeah <laughs> well no somebody used it somebody i mean this is kind of like the kind of like the foundation for uh, 
surveillance capitalism. I don't really have anything against technology. I think technology is great. Technology is allowing us to, to do this True. podcast together. And I can see, I can see your face. I can see that nice picture hanging in the background. And this is, this is remarkable. And what True. we're doing here is absolutely remarkable. Um, and people could share ideas and thoughts and whatever. It's just the, I think the society that has developed out of is that the, the intersection of surveillance capitalism, uh, programmatic tracking, um, multi-massive platforms like Facebook and Instagram and the way that we are building cultures of ego around these pieces of technology is the thing that fascinates me. Mm -hmm. So we're feeding hungry algorithms mm -hmm. that are hungry for more there is a formula for success to succeed within those uh, within those algorithms. Doesn't matter what which one it is, but let's just take Instagram for the moment. So there is a there's a there's a formula for success, which means that everybody uses that formula, which means everybody looks the same, mm -hmm. does True. the same thing, talks in the same way, becomes interchangeable. Um, and within this intersection between those kind of like comma, uh, surveillance, surveillance comma, surveillance capitalism, self-branding, the brand of you, um, platform dynamics and algorithms, um, new forms of virtual lives are kind of appearing. So you have kind mm -hmm. of like new stars. Are appearing mm -hmm. new True. Uh, influencers and and um, uh, Tom Goodwin really nailed a, a description of influencers is basically hot people holding things, <laughs> um, and and this is the thing that I find m more dangerous than anything else. So mm -hmm. there are there are a lot of really clever, good, proper people. Um, writing excellent books. Uh, what's his name? James Bridal. James Bridal. James Bridal. Okay. Um, it's just come up. It's just written a, a fantastic new book called The New Dark Age about the end of the future, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Uh, so there's a lot of thinking about this stuff. But what I'm more interested in is. is what kind of people we're becoming mm -hmm. and what marketing and advertising's role is in that development. Mm -hmm. So for, for listeners who don't know any of my stuff, which is probably at least 98% of your listeners have absolutely no idea who I am, Max. <laughs> Just because you know who I am doesn't mean that they do. Um, my <laughs> That's stuff the reason is, why we get together. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my... There is an organization within my performances called the Black Operatives Department. And the Black mm -hmm. Operatives Department is a agile, covert, 
innovations agency that only works for companies like the NSA or organizations like the NSA, CIA and stuff like that. So they come up with these like really, really weird things that control societies, people, whatever. And it's basically, mm-hmm. it's just WPP um, for spies. Um, and that was kind of like the, WPP. the it's WPP or Omnicom for, for spies. <laughs> I'd li- I would have liked to have made it Wyden and Kennedy for spies, but I I'm not that cool. <laughs> so it's, I had to, I went down the I went down the Sir Martin Sorrell uh, 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 route, um, and that's basically the idea of, of, of what I'm doing. That is to say, what happens when spies, right wing uh, political parties, and an innovation company define what the what society should look like mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's the space within which all of these stories happen so you know everything's but in these societies everything's based on influence levels right right and that's that's go ahead well yeah I, I, people have asked me to to stop writing these things because as soon as i write them they end up becoming true so <laughs> um you know algorithms that you swallowed one of the things in in one of the key pieces is an algorithm called rachel which is an algorithm you swallow Mm -hmm. so i was looking at the way technology was developing and it just appeared it just uh, it appeared to me that disruption the computer market won't be disrupted by another computer manufacturer it'll be disrupted by GlaxoSmithKline or or Mm -hmm. um, another pharma suitable Mm -hmm. company so the idea there was to say, okay, well, it's a, an algorithm you swallow and you see sure. her and you hear her and, and, and she talks to you and controls you and manages you. So society is managed by Rachel and you have uh, hormones that control your influence level. That's called flusamol. Mm-hmm. Um, and your, uh, there's a, a drug that increases your brand acceptance, which is called Bransulin. Bransolin. <laughs> Bransolin. So you have all of these things. It's just this, this really strange world that I use to kind of comment on the now. Dystopia has always been about commenting on the now. It's never really been about um, uh, predicting the future. Mm, interesting. So most of the things I've been writing since 2013, all, nearly all of them have come true. And maybe to, to dig a little bit here, because I think that's a super... Super interesting topic. I mean, you, what from my point of view, I think, I mean, people have always wanted to be somehow regarded in their society. I think if if you look back at if you look back at history, people always wanted to be special in their own maybe behavior and their their society and the, in their surroundings they live in. Now you have online media, and you mentioned Instagram, where influencers earn money with selling products more or less and yeah with selling themselves at first and then of course also selling products in in a different way how do you think the whole online media topic changed the way how people think about other people and how people actually think of themselves because i think what what we can observe now is that a lot of people go into depression because they don't feel happy anymore even though they work maybe less than people did maybe 30 40 years ago they work less but they still aren't happy even though we have online media and we can interact with people and we can get more socialized through the different um, channels that we have 
how does that all correlate? I mean, that's a lot of different buzzwords that I mentioned, mm -hmm. but how do you, how do you think all the stuff correlates that people actually didn't change from the, the way they think, but they now have online media and people start going crazy now? When I was 19, I joined a band. It was uh, three actor friends and me. And we practiced every, pretty much every night in the cellar, in the band rehearsal cellar that smelled of stale beer and cigarettes in the basement of the College of Arts where we were studying. And we did gigs. We sat in the back of transit vans. <laughs> and we did uh, gigs in pubs in the southwest of, of England, down in Plymouth, where maybe three people would turn up. And, they, <laughs> and those three people hated us. <laughs> um, and we spent money to get a demo tape done. And we did all of those things. And we always had the dream of being a famous band. And I think everybody who studies or works on anything that they're working on would like to be respected, recognized for whatever it is they're doing. The difference between us sitting in the back of a transit van in two, when that was that, 1991... <laughs> and standing in front of um, a beautiful sunset and being photographed by your boyfriend. That, that's, that's, in, you know, that's nearly 30 years of cultural evolution. So we've gone through things like trying really hard, doing the work, learning mm -hmm. the hard way to... Um, casting culture which then mm -hmm. became you know really big in the when was that so that would be the end of the 90s so we have things like Big Brother mm -hmm. you know the first Big Brother in Germany here um, Pop Idol mm -hmm. now to and then up to um, influencer culture mm -hmm. And it just seems to me, and this isn't a moan, this is just an observation of, of what it is. It just seems to me that the, it, the, it's the shortcut to shortcut to a fame that people seem to think is, is something that they should have. That's their mm -hmm. God-given right to be doing that. To be famous. More to be famous. Right. So... Uh, that that doesn't mean that these people, these young people, and especially their boyfriends, because <laughs> you know they're the guys, that, they're the ones taking the photograph, they're the ones doing the work in Lightroom, they're mm -hmm. the ones doing putting it online. Um, it, that's not to mean that they're not doing a lot of work and working very hard. And there have been a, a couple of really interesting articles in uh, in the Guardian and um, Zeit, I think it was here in Germany, mm -hmm. about the loneliness of... Vice magazine in Germany also did one, mm -hmm. about the loneliness of these people, about how much time they spend at home working on this content 
and working to feed this hungry algorithm so that it it just feels to me that through all of this hard they're putting in the work to be like everybody else mm. instead of just trying to figure out what it is that they want to do and what that is that they what kind of legacy I know it sounds really kind of uh, maybe it's, it's a bit too grand for what it is we're talking about but I like to try and think about the legacy of what I'm doing is, if, is there anything mm-hmm. I'm doing that people will look at and say maybe in 5 years 10 years 20 years and say mm, that was really good that changed mm-hmm. something that was kind of like that was helpful good maybe that was great and how do you reach that by giving value at first hand or because people i think they believe that the stuff they do on instagram somehow gives value to other people which then gives them legacy but on the other side they make something that everybody else also does right so they are not special so they don't have legacy anymore how do you think is the equation more more or less well i think you know the first thing that 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 everybody should realize especially in that area is a you've got a lot of noise Mm -hmm. so from a business perspective i'm looking if i was uh, if i was a marketer i'd be looking at a very very noisy space Mm -hmm. so i'd have to do an awful lot of work to make to make it work Mm um i also would kind of like think well look at how much effort you're doing to look like everybody else and to be like everybody else and are you happy doing that you know there's some really really heartbreaking stories i particularly i've been spending a lot of time this year um researching and doing stuff with youtube and Mm -hmm. a lot of the youtube creators it's just the grind I've, i've been working on my own channel doing talking about some of the things we're talking about today um, and the the work that goes into this stuff is just staggering. I mean, it's, it's proper work no that goes True. into creating those kinds of film. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd like to come back to that. It's, uh, actually, no, I'm going to do it now. So if you, so on the, there's a very specific kind of influencer on you on uh, on Instagram that we like to talk about, and that's normally mm-hmm. the hot hot people holding things so that's pretty beautiful (laughs) beautiful young people enjoying a remarkable life Mm -hmm. which doesn't exist i just want to say you pretend to have a remarkable life at least yeah yeah. exactly so and that's a little unfair to always kind of like bang bang um bang on those people to give those kind of people a hard time because at least they've done the research to work out well what how does this thing work mm, so so they'll do the craft they'll have somebody who will take a halfway decent photograph and mm. color grade it properly and true. they they do they hashtag it correctly they do all of this stuff but then you have kind of like people on like linkedin influencers mm-hmm. who have recently discovered video mm-hmm. um, who haven't done the research who know nothing about film who know nothing about sound who know nothing about editing who know nothing about their audiences and just sit mm-hmm. in front of a wall waffling on about morning rituals <laughs> the hustle and the grind and positivity and mindfulness 
I think those are the people who are also worthy of massive criticism and um, and satire, mm-hmm. to be perfectly honest, because they're they're worse. At least the young people know how to produce something of quality. Mm-hmm. True, with Mid- putting in the, putting in putting the, the craft, exactly. the work. All right, true. Yeah, middle-aged men wearing business casual on LinkedIn don't have the right to laugh at those people when at the same time they're producing junk content on LinkedIn and then boasting about views, their three-second views. <laughs> It's just nonsense. And this might also make, kind of like makes me angry. So um, went down a bit of a rabbit hole there because it makes me really angry because it's not fair on the young can, people who are least trying. I can, I can totally agree. And, and maybe to... To, to give a question here in, before we continue here is what do you think then is the difference between like good and, and bad people because somehow there are always people watching even terrible content of certain people yeah. how do you think people can still differentiate themselves and how can people still be self-aware of what they do and where their strengths are and whether they should do content or not on, on social media and how, should, how, how it affects them Well, I think I think the being self-aware is really is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I just like have a little think about I I've, I have a whole bunch of ideas that I've not done because I it wouldn't make sense for me to do them. Mm-hmm. Even though the formula would work, but it wouldn't make sense for me to do them. And all of my friends would go, Marcus, what on earth are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing so I think the self-awareness bit is really really good mm-hmm. um, tune in your own quality filters mm-hmm. you know, look at what you're doing and say is that good enough is that something mm-hmm. that I would look at mm-hmm. um, I would watch I would share would I share this am I proud of it mm-hmm Do the research. So if you start to... I mean, if you started painting, you'd mm-hmm. at least try and do some, a little bit of research on how painting works. Right. Wouldn't you? Right, of course. I mean, even if it's just watching Bob Ross. <laughs> Who's do, that? Oh, good God. How old are you? 21. Bob, 21. <laughs> Bob Ross is... is um, is a wonderful man who, is sad, who sadly died in, I think, 1995, who had a TV show that gave joy to millions of people. He had massive kind of like an afro hair, wonderful beard, and a, and a beautiful soft voice. And just taught people how to make kind of uh, oil paintings. And in terms of art, actually, Bob Ross is a brilliant example. That is the content exa- example par excellence. I will sh- I'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> um, Bob, Ross, Bob Ross's paintings, you could argue that maybe you wouldn't see them in an art gallery. And he had painted them from his imagination. So it's kind of like just landscape stuff. But he f- gave so much joy to millions of people. Mm-hmm. His legacy is the joy that mm-hmm. people get, even now, from watching Bob Ross. 
just listening to his voice, just understanding that people might get lost in a painting, might not understand how any of this works, mm-hmm. and giving them kind of like the tools and the uh, the confidence just to have a go. So, um, and boy could he could paint. That boy could paint. I tell you, he was a a, a remarkable man. Be more Bob Ross. Be more Bob Ross. That's what I'm saying. So do the research. Do the work. Try really, really hard. Be yourself. Mm-hmm. I know this is kind of like be yourself is so naff. It's so everybody will tell you that one of the key things to doing stuff is to be yourself. But it's remarkable how many people don't. If you go to a business conference, just think of the last business conference you went to. Like a mm-hmm. prop, like let's think um, the Munich Media Days, mm-hmm. or the German Media Congress, right? Or like like a real kind of like classic kind of media event. They all look the same. It's like this business casual. They've got a blue blazer on a white shirt with no tie because they're cool um <laughs> jeans uh brown brogues although we did go through a phase of wearing stan smith sneakers uh-huh true um like even hipsters hipsters you know the, the hipster movement was the ultimate display of individuality and they all look the same right that's true true so but so that's that's one of the driving forces of the work that I've been doing is, you know, sometimes I write the blog post that everybody else would write, and then I turn that into the thing that I would write, mm-hmm. just so that I've got that bit out of you know got it out of my mind. Got it. So I I I, I and I do see the world slightly, obviously slightly differently to to other people, and. I understand that there's an opportunity. I understood. I think it's probably going to change. But I understood that the conference stage was a was a, an, an opportunity to tell um, to tell a really important story in a completely different way that nobody had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, you know, this is why I test. Now, the Republica has always been a bit of a testing ground for me because the audiences are really hypercritical mm-hmm. and come from an uh, incredibly mixed background of net politics, uh, politics, advertising, media, um, <sighs> punk, mm-hmm. super conservative people, all mixed Finance up. also. Finance, yeah, 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 yeah. Journalists, all mm. in the, all in the same room, and and um, you know, if you make it out of a, a re- if you make it out of a Republica, <laughs> off a Republica stage alive and in one piece, then you've, you know, you you you're doing you're doing pretty okay. So, I think the 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 thing about being yourself and trying to find out a way of telling, of doing your stuff in the way that you want to do, mm-hmm. is. It takes much longer. It's taken me ages to get to... To be self-aware? To be... Not only to be self-aware, I've always been very self-aware. Okay. Um, which means I've... I, there's been huge chunks of my life where I couldn't stand myself. Um, <laughs> 
But it's taken me a long time to get to the point now where people are starting to recognize the things I'm doing. And um, it could have come a little quicker, but I don't think the work would have been as good. Got it. But how do you become self-aware then? I mean, that's something that I think... Because I, 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 I really love the work that you do and I think it's very special, but I think a big part of why you are special in that regard is because you are self-aware and a lot of young people and, and I could probably include myself a little bit too. Of course, I know what I, what I want and I know that I, I'm on the process of being self-aware, but I think a lot of people are failing to be self-aware because they consume so much of other people that they try to be, They try to be Gary V. They try to be this guy, this guy, this guy. And people forget what they are themselves. What do you think is the best strategy to be actually come self-aware? Do you think it's consuming less content? Do you think it's reading the right books? Do you think it's writing your book? What do you think makes a person self-aware or become more aware of what a person likes and should pursue in life? I think it's a mixture of a couple of things. And I think it's a mixture of things that young people like yourself And myself, when I was 21, really don't like to hear. So the first one is experience. Mm -hmm, true. So you have to, you know, people who have experienced trauma of any kind tend to be very self-aware. Um the rest of your adult life will be full of trauma and full of disappointment and full of hard work and full of people who don't recognize what you're doing mm -hmm. and full of people who think what you're doing is rubbish. Um, that's good. That's, that's good. That's like germs, germs. You need to get, you need to have colds as a child. You need germs mm -hmm. you need to be ill when you're a, when, when you're a baby. Because it toughens you up. It makes your immune system harder. So you have to kind of like recognize that experience is life is a, is a, it's a, it's, it's long and things can happen. And, mm -hmm. and it's those things that happen that, that make you and your work and your thinking bigger, richer, more interesting, more exciting. So that's right. the first one. So you have to expect that you're going to have to get a couple of years under your belt. So then the second point is you can't shortcut to be Gary V. True. You can't just use his hashtags. You can't just walk around wearing I, um, uh, iPhone earplugs. Um, <laughs> you can't, you know, Gary V gets a lot of bashing and, and I'm not a massive fan of, I'm not a massive fan. But I think I'm not a massive fan of the whole thing that's kind of developed around him. I saw him, I saw him years ago in Hamburg at the online marketing rock stars and he was brilliant. Almost humble. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but you can't shortcut to that. There's right. no, you, maybe one in a million gets to shortcut to that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. You can't shortcut to him. You can't shortcut to Casey Neistat. Right. He, he, he's been doing what he's been doing for years. He's 37 now. And he's been doing it since, I don't know, since he ran away from home. He's been trying to right. get this stuff. You can't shortcut to Casey. You can't... Um, it's a, so you have to kind of like accept that you can listen to what they're saying and trying to work out what works for you, but you have to do the work. <laughs> you, mm -hmm. you will yeah. have to kind of like 
just get stuff done. The mm-hmm. other thing is that a lot of the stuff that we consume is in the space where we consume it. Mm-hmm. Agree. So, and when you leave that space, when you you know, fold the laptop down, when you turn the podcast off, when you've got off the tram and you go into your place of work, that's kind of where the hustle stops. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because particularly in Germany, there isn't a process, there isn't a structure, there isn't a, a there, there's no space for that. True. So you kind of like, so if you're working in an insurance company or in a bank or in, or even a kind of like an automotive company, mm-hmm. you're going to have to expect, um, just ex- accept the space, the context in which you're in and then make a decision. If you don't want to work in that space and you have to do something else and then you have to do the research and the work to work out what that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, you can buy all the books. You can, uh, there are so many books you can buy, but it's all about picking out the things that work for you. So I read, like many others, Tim Ferriss. I've got a couple of books from Tim Ferriss. I've flicked through some, some mean nothing. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I particularly like Tools of Titans because it's a whole book of completely conflicting stories about how right. things get done. Right. Um, and the most important thing that I picked out of that book is the low is the low carb diet, which mm-hmm. has changed. I don't know. It's changed me physically. So that's good because I'm not fat anymore. Um, <sighs> So it's just kind of like the road to self-awareness. That sounds very LinkedIn, doesn't it? Um, it <laughs> that it, should it be just, a blog post. Yeah, no, it shouldn't actually. It, it shouldn't <laughs> no, yeah, ever. Yeah. It should never be a blog post. Right, um, that was just irony. <laughs> yeah, I think. Um, I think you you just have to kind of. Um, you know, sometimes I look at look at what's going on. I just think, why don't you just slow down a little bit? Mm-hmm. it's just like you can't it's like on friday i was thinking oh, i really need to get the, some momentum behind i'm writing a new piece which is premiering in london london in november in november yeah and i was thinking kind of like i really need to get some momentum going behind about this because i my process of putting things together is very very annoying for everybody around me so I'll spend hours looking out the window, kind of like piecing the piece together in my head. Without a, without a pen or whatever? No, no. I just kind of like go through it and think about how it's going to work. And then I have kind of like little visions of and then little film clips I want to do or how the story could develop and where's the kicker and, and how, you know, is this one going to be super funny or is it going to... And it's just really, really annoying. I've got kind of like this, my whiteboard here, which is just... Just full of nonsense, and <laughs> and my wife will come in and say, "Have you written it yet?" And I said, "Wow, it's about eighty percent there." And of course, there's nothing. It's there's <laughs> nothing. And then it's I quite, can't. It's go quite, ahead. It's, go it's ahead. just quite. It's my process. It's just my process of of of, of building these things. I build. I build them. That's how it feels to me. I'm kind of like I make crafting. Them. I, I, yeah, I just build these things. I was thinking on Friday, Jesus, Marcus, you have to get some momentum get into this. It's just... And then I thought, weather's lovely. Let's just go for a walk. <laughs> I'll do it on Monday. 
And I'm going to do it tomorrow because I've got meetings and podcasting and stuff like this with you t- today. So tomorrow is kind of like the day when I say, okay, well, tomorrow is the momentum day. Thank you. And that's, and that's the, that's the experience you kind of like have that to know mm. that you can take the pace out of things to kind of, to kind of relax and, and give your, you know, your brain the space to kind of work. Mm-hmm. And then you just go into full production mode and then that's when, you know, my wife will come home and say, Marcus, for God's sake, open the windows. There's no oxygen in here. Have you, <laughs> have you, have you, have you actually left that desk today? So it's kind of like, it's real, you know, just really, really working. And, and Without distraction, right? Uh, then it's, to, I have go into, I think a lot of, I think everybody goes through this. It's just, you go into a kind of like a tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and the vision seems really, really clear. So what I do, my process is, if, if you're interested, I can tell you how I'm, I would how love I'm to, because I think also how the this, this whole distracting thing is very interesting and how you can go into the tunnel without looking at this one here. Yeah. Um, maybe you can go through the process if okay, you have well, time. Pro- I mean, we're a little no, over no, no, time, no. but if you have time, uh, time, um, the process is quite simple, really. So I spend uh, a lot of time thinking and playing around with ideas, a lot of reading, um, a lot of watching. And then mm-hmm. I say, okay, well, today's the day I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start. And then I write it. Um, that's about eight hours of solid writing. Okay. So I'll sit down and I'll write it. At the moment, I kind of tend to write them as if they were if if it was a chapter in a book Mm -hmm. so i describe pretty much everything that's going on on stage Mm -hmm. um there's sometimes i'll even write kind of like camera camera angles and you know if it's if it's a close-up if it's a you know three-quarter it's from behind something like that just to kind of like get it into the into the thinking space and then um when that's written um i'll leave it for a day or two and then I'll come back and I'll start to edit it. Mm-hmm. And um, then I'll start build, building the slides. So you've seen my stuff. It's very, very... There's a lot going on. Right. Um, and there's a lot of video. There's a lot of voiceover. There's a lot of kind of very closely timed interaction with what's going on on the screen behind me um i'm editing all the videos i'm making the videos i'm designing the slides i'm writing the text on the slides which normally don't have anything to do with what i'm they're kind of just like there to kind of like give the feeling of what's going on on the stage Mm -hmm. um so that's another no, the, the first one I, the first really, really, really complicated one I did was called the uh, purpose of entry, mm-hmm. and that took about three hundred hours. Three hundred hours. It took three hundred hours to to make that piece. The re- what what really and it's a happened- classic presentation or no 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 the purpose of entry is um, it's on uh, it's on a playlist in my youtube channel it's a, okay it's a, it's i've only ever done it at, at the republica interesting um, it's um it's part of the black operatives department oeuvre 
<laughs> so um, it's, it's really, really complicated. So I, I'm talking with Rachel, the algorithm. Um, it, there's a lot going. There's a lot of kind of like films. There's a fake startup video in there that I use about the Black Operatives watch. It's, there's, there's loads of stuff going on in there. And it was the first really, really complicated one I did. Mm-hmm. I've streamlined the process now. I know how it all works. I can I can get it down to about thirty to forty hours now. Oh wow! Because uh, there's still a lot of work in, it's, behind it's a, it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, a a lot of it's a lot of work to to get that thing done. And then you go into rehearsal, and then I go into re-editing. So the while I'm rehearsing these, when you do something which is so incredibly inv- like a massive multimedia soup where there's lots of things going on so you have hundreds of sound files and and film clips and text and really highly designed panels and things if you decide to change something that could mean an extra five hours work Got it. So, and that's where the discipline comes in. Mm-hmm. That's when you sit down with yourself and say, I know it's going to cost me five hours of work. I know it's a real pain, mm-hmm. but it will be better because of changing that one thing. And it's pretty much, and I'm realizing it with the YouTube videos that I'm doing at the moment as well, which are as involved but on a kind of slightly different level that, um, that I'll, I'll spend maybe six hours writing the, the text of what, I got, of what the film is about and the mm-hmm. text of the film I'm going to u- use. And I'll use the last one I did, which, was, uh, called, which is called The Secret. That was about 10 hours shooting. Mm-hmm. 10 hours. Uh, 10 hours uh, it was a 10 hour 10 hour shoot and a 22 kilometer walk through munich um and then i don't know how many hours of editing editing is is a is a it's it's an addiction once you start it's this is what i'm saying about you know the whole you know talking head thing on linkedin Mm -hmm. they haven't done the research they don't know they haven't they don't know why why a really good film really really works mm-hmm. and once you know that and once you try and do it it's you really need to nail it and once you've right. done it once and when you look at it and go oh my god that's absolutely incredible that's now what the quality i want you can never let it go it can you only you can only ever get better mm-hmm. um it just takes more time and and a little bit more discipline um to get it right for i I do these things specifically for me Mm -hmm. i i I want them to be a thing that that i can be incredibly proud of Mm -hmm. and i want them to be a thing that i'm proud of because it's moved people in a in some way Mm um then i and i'm always thinking about the audience what they're going to do what they're going to think how can I bring them into the the story in a in a way that they've never ever seen before? before. Spe- mm-hmm. Specifically, you know, in audiences that go to kind of you know conferences. Mm-hmm. So, 
one of the key pieces of um, the passing, which is the piece I think you've seen, right. is to is getting the audience to stand at the beginning. And uh, at, the, at the beginning of the piece, there's a, a prayer, which is it's a, a prayer that um, the coalition give. It's a, a prayer of thankfulness to our All Father who created a society, and it's all about praying to that my brand is worthy of and and all and that my influence is strong and all of this kind of stuff and um <laughs> lots I, of parody lots of there yeah, i mean it's it's kind of weird stuff but what i and i i thought okay well the the way that i can make the audience complicit into this whole piece is to get them to stand uh-huh what I didn't know was that people were actually reading the text off of the screen while it was scrolling through. So they were actually praying with me. Um, and I've put behind that when I do it, there's, a, there's an audio file with maybe seven or eight um, algor- algorithmic voices that are then kind of like overdubbed and overdubbed and overdubbed. So it makes the whole room kind of swell with a huge kind of praying audience. And that seems to have motivated the audience to recite the uh, recite this prayer with them, and I didn't know that because I can't hear it on the stage because I'm mm-hmm. kind of I'm all mic'd up and, and I've got the the monitors and stuff, so I can't hear what the audience is doing. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, "Marcus, you do realise they are actually praying with you while you're doing it." <laughs> now you kind of hope that something like that will happen mm-hmm. while you're while you're writing these things. But when something like that happens, it really blows you away. It's, right. it's kind of like wow. And if you but, if you if you see the video, you can really feel how the whole crowd, even though you don't see them, but how how they are moving with you. Yeah. And they understand the topic that you talk about immediately, which is insane. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird feeling when you stand on a. I do, I, do, I do some speaker training and one of the things I say is that you it's the most incredible moment is when you understand when you f- when you feel when you realize that you the audience are with you mm-hmm. um, and that they're going on that journey with you and they are prepared to kind of kind of like spend the next 20 minutes Sorry, the next 20 minutes, half an hour in this strange story universe with you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an incredible moment and I'm very, very grateful for it. I, I, I'm, I, you know, I've had a small, there, there are a small group of people that have been following my work and, and supporting me over the last I know, 10 years or so and, and I'm hugely grateful for them and, and, and their insistence that I carry on mm-hmm. um, I nearly stopped I was going to stop before the passing I, I hadn't, I'd had enough I couldn't it felt like the things that I was saying that nobody was seeing them nobody was hearing them I wasn't getting any traction that there was no the audience was too small. It wasn't growing. Um, it felt that I needed a bigger audience, and and I and I'd given it all I've got, and it wasn't getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then, 
Uh, and I say I'm stopping here, so I'm, I'm not putting in another 300 hours into another piece. Just not doing it. And then um, a friend of mine, uh, who Matt, who um, runs, run, ran, runs uh, Silicon Beach in Bournemouth, invited me back. And he never does that. He never invites mm-hmm. me back. I said, Marcus, do you want to come back? And I said, uh, yeah, okay. He's got, have you got a piece? And I immediately said, yes, yes, I've got a piece. I didn't have a piece. I just said, yes. I thought, okay, well, Marcus, this is last chance. And I was writing a, a column f- uh, for somebody at the same time, and there was like little stories called Memories from the Future. And I was building this kind of like really weird kind of like space. And I thought, well, I could be really efficient here. <laughs> I, could, <laughs> I could write a column and use that column as the basis of the piece. And I'd been playing around with this idea of not being myself anymore on stage and just like literally writing a piece for somebody else. And one of the biggest challenges that I'd had is that all the pieces I'd written up until then, you kind of had to have watched all of them to understand what was going on. And that was a, mm-hmm. that's a massive problem if you're trying to kind of reach new audiences because, you know, they... Marcus, I don't want to watch four and a half hours of... <laughs> <laughs> And you're not well known enough to be binged viewed, Marcus. So that was like <laughs> my self-awareness was kind of the thing where, okay, well, they're not going to do that. So how can I get, how can I show them what's happened? How can I tell them what's happened before? And then it just suddenly occurred to me, I can tell them what happened before. And that's the point of the piece. So I could teach them like children that don't know what's happened before. And that's what it is. And it's an induction into, and that's how it started. So the, you know, so the text is, is started off as uh, Johnson sitting backstage, Mm -hmm. terrified of going on stage, talking to these people. And then I was thinking, well, how can I get, and when he's on stage, he's kind of like, Oh no, I'm going to have to do this now. And she's going to kill me for it. And Jesus Christ. But, (laughs) And I was thinking, well, how can I, how can I get that into the... i just do a voiceover. Good, yeah. And then that's when I kind of like... And then it started to fit into place. But, and then when I'd finished the writing, I'd kind of skipping ahead of myself, but when I was finishing the, finished it off written, uh, writing it, I'd printed it out and I held it in my hands and I looked at it and I said, oh my God, this is the one. This is the one that they're going to get this is this is it i've been working towards this now for 25 years it felt like it really did feel like the culmination of all the things i was doing when i was studying Mm -hmm. it's very very similar to the ideas that i was having back then Mm -hmm. Um, and you presented that one or in front of the the crowd also or yeah no, 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 no. I mean, back when I was like 18, 19, 20, I would never show that stuff now because it was just rubbish. But the one that you did then was for, for, for presentation, right? Well, you mean the, the passing? The one Wait, I just uh, described, when, uh, the one I've just written. The, the right. One the, I, I mean, you can see the passing on the Republica, of course. Yeah. And but no, I mean, the, 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 the very, it's changed again. I mean, the, the, the one I, that one premiered at Silicon Beach uh, mm-hmm. in September 2017. So it's nearly a year okay. ago. Got it. Um, that's changed. Um, it changes from performance to performance a little bit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be performing it twice in London in November with, uh, with a new version. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of, you know, things changed, the world's changed, I've changed. So I want to kind of like tweak it a little bit. But, um, but it was when I held it in my hands, I thought, well, gee, yeah, this is it. This is kind of, this is the one that I, this is probably the thing I've always been wanting to, to say. But it came out way later than you way actually later. expected. Yeah, so, you know, and that, again, that's kind of like, well, you just have to keep on keeping on. And um, um, and now I'm faced with the, you know, the, the challenge of coming up with the, the second album. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the new piece is called The Sensorium Process. The Sensorium Process, okay. That's also a book then, or? No, it's kind of, Writing a book is really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm struggling with it right now. Um, it's all part of the same world. So I might try and be efficient. <laughs> <laughs> if that's possible in that regard. If, that, if that's possible in that, in that regard. But um, it's, it, it owns the same space. It's in the same space. The trick is to try and find a way of making it different mm-hmm. to the passing that's a real challenge because the passing feels like it's you know very it's a it's very complete it's a rounded thing absolutely i loved it that's the reason why we why i approached you because i i was so caught by by the inside there that i have probably not realized so far in in in, in that mention so I, I i love the way how you somehow um just as i mentioned at the beginning and maybe that's the circle here um how you think about technology in a different way and you and you how you can elaborate on it for like 45 50 minutes and it it just made me feel differently about the stuff that we as as a young generation work on um mm. and is is your current or your your upcoming project built on that or will it be totally different maybe you can give a little insight for the listeners here if they are interested in getting to know the the text and the, the stuff that you work on a little bit more and how how they can follow the on the project that you're working on now yeah well the, again a, a key point is um at the moment it's it's again surveillance capitalism it plays uh plays a, a very large role mm-hmm. in this piece but it's also very much at surveillance capitalism personal branding mm-hmm. this one is more of a, a look at linkedin than mm-hmm. anything else okay um it's uh i don't want to give too much too much away but it's it's kind of i'm fascinated by the world of linkedin because i'm fascinated that anybody would think that any of the stuff that anybody puts there is interesting true um but it probably is the best platform at the moment from the platforms that are From my perspective, available. It's, well, at the moment, I'm I'm a, a massive fan of YouTube. Okay, of course, yeah. I'm a massive fan of YouTube. I'm um I'm very interested by LinkedIn because mm-hmm. I think there are some very interesting things that are going on there. I'm interested by the fact that you know, poli- uh, LinkedIn almost feels like a p- political void. True. Because everybody's so, and then giving a little bit of insight into what the sensorium process is about. Nice. So they're, they're so very focused on their career and potential employees 
and how they brand themselves in that mm. space. Mm. Um, and I find that really, really fascinating. I have, I, I've, I'm overjoyed that I'm 47. I'm overjoyed that I don't have to do any of this stuff anymore. True. Um, I never really did it anyway. I've always been a bit of a asshole when it comes to this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was a punk. Well, if you're a punk, you doesn't matter how old you are that kind of punk spirit is in you and if anybody right. tells me what to do or if i have to do things in a specific way then i'm probably going to do it in a completely different way right which is why you know i my I've, i have these little videos that i'll do every now and again which is just me drinking a, a, a drinking a, a, a something and and just saying one word and that's it and the one word is always morning so it's just and you can almost feel the the very substance of the network kind of like vibrate against this anomaly Uh because it's completely void of any value or any meaning right but the value in it is that it's four seconds long (laughs) (laughs) so that people are going and it's in perfect quality so it's in 4k it's, um, it's perfectly lit the sound is on point uh, it's perfectly framed it's kind of like everything that these other people aren't doing it is doing except that I'm only saying one word and that's, <laughs> and that's morning so um, so I do find I find LinkedIn is, is, is it fascinates me at the moment and the fact that it's completely void of politic is the thing that fascinates me the most um Social context, politics, the way we are manipulated to do things, mm-hmm. um, it has always, always fascinated me. And that's kind of like the main core of the new piece is, okay, so we've got a society which is based on these values, values that marketing organizations and spies and government organizations have laid down for us mm-hmm. so what does that actually mean right. um, it's not that far removed from the truth mm-hmm. Facebook is completely funded on the values of um, advertising true and Dating. Also, yeah, but of course, the same with uh, That's same the, with in the very in the very core of the DNA of Facebook is a young man's desire to get close to hot chicks. <laughs> that is, you know, that's the very core of what Facebook is. It's why mm-hmm. it's called Facebook. It's about your face, mm-hmm. right? It's about, it's about what you look like. It's about mm. what you, not what you are, or who you are, or what you believe, or what you think. It's about the looks first. Yeah, it's about 100%. what you don't know. So, True. so yeah. So I'm gonna. So that's kind of like the core of of the sensorium process. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I will, is there is there a link that you can send me to put in the in the show notes so that people can uh, stay updated on 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 your track? Uh, or or is that like a best way to say okay maybe if I want to read follow, like it? Follow me on LinkedIn. 
That's the platform. <laughs> that's follow the irony. me on LinkedIn. That that's fol- no, that's not irony, actually. Follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> that follow me on LinkedIn because um, that's probably where I'll be posting more most of the stuff. You, cool. People can find out what's going on uh, on Twitter, um, on LinkedIn. Um, the, the, the premiere for the sensorium process is at the Drums Future of Marketing Conference, which is on the 22nd of November. Mm-hmm. Um, and the passing is uh, oh, on the 13th or 14th of November in London. Nice. Um, so Super easy to get there from Germany as well. So, You know, I believe that's called the hustle. <laughs> Maybe we can call it like that. <laughs> By the way, maybe maybe just uh, to wrap it up because I think there are a couple of uh, interesting questions that I still have um, in 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 that manner. Um, I call it the brain feeder session, more or less, since the podcast is called Feed Your Brain. Um, since you are also uh, since you also have different projects going on, what are your or since you have written books or some sort of text, um, do you have three books that you want to recommend? Because you mentioned earlier that you like James. Bridal, I think that was the name. Um, yes. The New Dark Age. Is there like two other books that you want to recommend to to the listeners? I don't want to interrupt, but I thought uh, that might be an interesting. Oh, no, that's uh, fine. Finish up. Um, I really like. Um, hang on a minute. Can I have to hang? I have to go to the bookshelf. Not no worries. So, uh, The One Thing uh-huh. by Gary Keller with Jay Papasan, New York Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal bestseller. So those are two newspapers that Donald Trump hates, which means that this is a really good book. <laughs> <laughs> um, the One Thing, this is a, it's a great little book. It, it's it's not really a self-help book. It just kind of like focuses on the fact that there is basically, in a work, in your mind, there's kind of like a, 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 a myriad of things that you think are holding you back. But actually, there's only really one thing that's holding you back. And it's how to find out what that one thing is, which is why it's called The One Thing. Which is, and it's a, it's a really lovely book, well, well written. I recommend that book. So in the next nice one. book is a book called Into the Woods. Oh, I think we have had that before here in the podcast. By, by John York, which is... Uh, it's A lot of people talk about storytelling. You've noticed I've not talked about storytelling in this podcast. Um, <laughs> um, again, a lot of people talk about storytelling without understanding the craft of what actually happens in a story. So John York um, doesn't only tell you how things work, he tells you why they work, which is really, really interesting and mm-hmm. very, very helpful. Um, and it just goes to show that even it doesn't matter how old you are, you can still learn new things. I learned a lot from that book. Really, really helpful. But if you've had it before, and maybe I should give you another book. Um, No, I'm going to give you that book. I think it, I think that was like 
one and a half years ago when somebody mentioned yeah. that book. So uh, I think it's a good update to. I to think bring. this book should be mentioned every single podcast. <laughs> nice. I think, I think if nobody, if I think it, that's it's a. I think it's your job from now on to remind people at the end of the podcast. Oh, and remember, John York, Into the Woods. <laughs> and of course, you will be a reference. Uh, I, will, I will definitely. <laughs> so people can associate the book with you, which is also nice. I mean, uh, that's a cool thing. Um, since you are somehow, thanks, uh, thanks actually for sharing. I think I will definitely, um, definitely post them in the, in the show notes uh, to, to let people read it further and, and they should probably hit you up on Twitter if they start reading it. And uh, maybe another thing that I wanted to share is the whole to-do list kind of topic because you seem to be a very time-thinking person and time is very important to you. Mm. Still, how do you manage? Because I, I often talk to creatives who somehow are wild in their minds, but how do they keep to-do lists or how do they keep to-dos in order? How do you make that happen? Because that's also interesting for, for, for listeners. Um, I have, I use really big post-its. Really big post-its, okay. Yeah, and I write my to-do list on that post-it. And you prioritize or prioritize? Or yeah, no, no, come on. It, it, uh, people spend so much time thinking about how to prioritize their to-do list that by the time the day is gone, they haven't done anything <laughs> on their to-do list. True. <laughs> I, just, I just write stuff down that needs to be done. Then I look at the list and think, okay, well, which is the easy stuff? And I do the easy stuff first, because then it feel then I feel like I've achieved something, and I'm not a loser. <laughs> and then I, um, you know, a lot of this stuff has got to do with mental health. So if you've ever struggled with mental health, getting yourself disciplined is the single most important key to getting out of that space. So, you know, I have like little things that I I do that I have in place kind of make sure that i'm all ship shape and, and ready to go and like routines or yeah a little bit but it's kind of like the to-do list is kind of it really is okay start with the easy stuff first get it done mm -hmm. i've done that um then take on one of the bigger ones get that one done except that some of the to-dos on there are going to go over many 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 days mm -hmm. makes um, sense um and and just keep on battling on it's um uh it's you know i i i work from i have my i have my studio at home so mm -hmm. i don't um so there are many days when i i won't leave this place unless right. i go for a walk so which of course i do right um so you have to have a sense of discipline i i get up in the morning at six o'clock with my wife mm -hmm. have a cup of tea have a shower cold shower cold shower is a key yeah so a lot of people actually in the podcast that's interesting cold shower um uh get dressed properly dressed properly so in what regard well no no kind of like you know it's important to get out of your pajamas <laughs> true yeah. if you work at home so i get kind of like properly dressed dressed in a way that i would then go i could i could now go to a client right right um so i approach the desk as if it was a, a proper working environment because it mm -hmm. is right uh this isn't a hobby this is my work this is my livelihood this is what i do um 
yeah and that's it really and i just kind of like battle through and uh, get angry with myself when i don't do stuff <laughs> it's, it's like really just like normal it's like normal worky stuff and in the evening I, do you do different stuff then or to to relax and um it, it can be that can be quite challenging so my wife will come home from work after a 45 minute commute and she's completely de toxed from work so she's kind of done the thing that you do when you have a commute and you come home and you're kind of like okay well i'm sometimes i i i need to kind of i need to do a rapid detox mm -hmm. because she's home and already jolly and i'm still kind of like sitting and i'm still in premiere pro doing a edit <laughs> <laughs> like a really difficult bit that's been really annoying me for at least an hour and a half two hours and she'll come home sometimes you just have to just stand up save the file walk away from the desk I give my wife a hug make a drink sit on the balcony look at the, the beautiful Bavarian sky and, and try and just kind of like something happens to you when you turn 40 all of a sudden pace Mm -hmm. becomes something else got it and um, respecting downtime is probably the most important piece of advice I could give any young person is that you have to respect downtime you feel that you have to give it all now you feel that you have to move really really quickly mm -hmm. um, it's okay to have a sense of urgency it's not okay to hurt yourself. Right. I hurt myself. It's not a nice place to be. Um, I'm the happiest I've ever been now and I'm doing the best work I've ever done. So I think in somewhere in the tools of Titans, there's a, there's a thing from a, an army major or something, a sergeant major that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Mm -hmm. and um, that book is about 400, 500 pages large and that one sentence is the biggest takeaway that I've taken out of that book oh I think uh, I know which book you mean uh, uh, I forgot the name but um, yeah, Tools, I, of Tools of Titans but I think it, in Tools of, Tools of Titans there's like a book mentioned that goes deeper with the sergeant oh, okay. and uh, the, yeah. the army kind of topic interesting I mean I, I think I want to finish our interview with the one sentence that you, you said because You somehow understood your pace. Um, you're the happiest person ever, and you do the best work that you've ever done. I think that's a that's a great correlation between pace and being happy yeah. and being productive and being uh, just uh, or just having a good craft. To round up the, my first line, more or less. Thanks, Marcus. I, I think um, we actually did much longer than I expected, but that was also because you had the time and because I really enjoyed the whole conversation we top we covered so many deep topics that i think you stand for and you stand for a craft that a lot of people um should should definitely check out i think it's it could be a great um great fulfillment thanks a lot for the interview thanks a lot for listening with the english man with the german passport marcus john henry brown i'm sure um even though the interview was quite long compared to my other interviews i'm sure um, you definitely had a smile on your face a couple of times during the interview, which is also an obligation that I have in my podcast. So hope you enjoyed it. Um, in this case, I just wanted to uh, 
um, forward to my socials. Uh, if you want to find me on the socials, you can find me anywhere on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram um, with the name Max Elster. And um, if you have any recommendations regarding speakers or whatever you feel like is important to you, um, you can write me an email, info at maxelster.com. And uh, maybe to give a little um, foresight to the next interview, um, which is also one of my probably in most inspirational people that I follow in my private time, which is um, Ryan Carson, a very interesting um, United States-based founder, uh, founder of Treehouse, um, who has been in very different interviews with Gary Vaynerchuk, Kevin Rose, which I also very appreciative, uh, very appreciate um, in, in, in my personal life um, in regards to consumption of very interesting topics. Or um, he has been on the Chase Jarvis show. So many different, um, many different, uh, very interesting podcasts or YouTube videos where he has been in, and um, one of the most interesting founders I think in the United States. So hopefully you um, you take a deeper look there as well and uh, give me feedback if you like it or not. I would love to have a review on iTunes if just to see how people like the podcast and what they like and what they don't like. So really looking forward to hearing from you and wishing you all the best. Bye bye.